Well, welcome to Grace this weekend. Thanks so much for being here. If you are here in the room with us, or maybe if you are just checking Grace out online, or maybe you're out of town, uh, thanks for tuning in that way as well. And uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And a good chance we haven't met yet, if maybe you just started coming. So I'd love to meet you if maybe you say hi afterwards. And I'd uh, love to get your name, how you made it to Grace. And I'm excited to be here with you guys this weekend. I'm thrilled about something we heard a minute ago here from Pastor Donnie. He talked a little bit about discovery groups. And I want to just take a minute to talk about that before we even jump into our conversation today. So if you've been coming to Grace maybe for a a couple weeks or a couple months, and you've been wondering, what is my next step? Where do I go from here? Want to make sure that you know it is to jump into a discovery group. And that actually starts today at one o'clock. So if you don't have lunch plans yet, love to invite you to come be a part of that. 1 to 2.30 today, and that'll kick you into a kind of a seven-week group, and it'll catalyze you in your faith, get you moving in your relationship with Grace Church, and you'll meet some friends in that process as well. Pastor Jeff and I and some other leaders will kind of lead you through that process over those seven weeks, and you will be thrilled that you did that. So if you didn't sign up, not a big deal. Just show up. You can literally just kind of walk downstairs to our community room, and we would love to have you there. That's Discovery Group. Take advantage of that today if you're around. And uh, what we've been doing here for the last couple months now is we've been taking some time in our kind of a a series of different series to look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus and really the uniqueness of what it means to follow Christ, right? So a Christ follower is something different. When somebody says, I want to follow Jesus, their lives, their mentality, their mindset is going to end up looking different than kind of anybody else. And we started off this conversation really at the end of the summer in August. We started talking about the fact that a follower of Jesus is really kind of weird, right? There's a a good kind of weird that a follower of Christ is. And we kind of led that into another series of conversations. We said that we're going to see differently. If I follow Jesus, that that's going to affect the way that I view the world. My worldview is going to change. I'm going to see life through a different set of lenses than somebody who doesn't follow Jesus. And what we've been saying in this series is that that doesn't just stop with kind of the theoretical or the, the, right, the, the philosophical. It's ultimately going to show up in life change, right? I'm going to make decisions and prioritize and approach life and actually live life differently because of my faith in Jesus. And so we've been looking at that and asking the question, what does that mean? How's that going to show up? How will it affect kind of how I live my day in and day out? So we've been spending some time talking about that. And we're going to wrap up this conversation, kind of this chapter of conversations we've been in. And in the last handful of weeks, what we've been diving into is conversations about the Bible, right? About how a a Christ follower would interact with the Bible and how a Christ follower would interact with prayer. So here's what we can know, right? If you kind of missed those conversations, let me recap real quick for you. Here's what we know. We know that every human being on the planet, all right, if you have faith or not, whether you realize it or not, Every single one of us has a source of authority that we lean into to make decisions and to live life through, right? So all of us, we're going to go to something or someone and say, this is kind of the authoritative way that I tend to make decisions. For some of us, it's going to be a religious system. Uh, We grew up in a certain religion and the culture of that religion or the religious leadership, maybe we make decisions through that lens, uh, for some of us, it's our feelings, right? I, I feel like something's true or I think something's true and my opinion is the highest authority in my life. Uh, some of us, we would lean into our friend group. So, Amanda, if my friends are doing that as kind of my authority for life, whatever they say is okay is kind of what I'm going to go with, right? And, and of course, uh, many of us, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we would look and we would say, 
the Bible is going to be my authority for life. That's what a Christ follower is going to say. It's going to cause them to live differently. We're going to look and say, I believe that God's spoken to me, that he has spoken through his word. We've recorded that. It's been captured. It's trustworthy. And I can get to know God through the Bible. And no matter what I think, no matter what my culture is going to say today, I'm going to go back and I'm going to put my authority, my trust in God through the Bible. I am going to make decisions that way. And then we would look in kind of a similar vein and say every human being on the planet, uh, we're going to, whether we realize it or not, we have a major primary way that we tend to deal with stress and kind of manage the difficulty of life. Some of us are going to run to things like coping mechanisms that that we can deal with stress and difficulty in life through. Sometimes that's addiction. Sometimes it's entertainment. It's escapism. Uh, Some of us have experienced enormous amount of pain through running towards things that are harmful to us as we try to manage the stress and difficulty of life. A Christ follower is going to look and say, I'm going to lean into my relationship with God to deal with the difficulty of life. I'm going to pray right? Because God would tell me things like this, cast your cares on me because I care for you, right? I want us to talk about it. I want to have a relationship with you and know you, even kind of the deepest, darkest, uh, most unattractive moments of your life. I want to have a relationship with you. And we said that that's going to cause a Christ follower to live differently, right? We're not going to run to addiction or escape. We're we're not even going to primarily run to things like even exercise to manage the stress of life. We're going to run to this relationship with God. Now, if you take all of that, you take the source of authority that we have for life, you, you take the way that we manage and deal with the stress of life, you put it all together, kind of smash it around, what's going to come out of that is a unique lifestyle, right? A Christ follower is going to end up having kind of a unique lifestyle that's unlike any other style of living, we could say. Right? It's going to cause me to be different, to live differently. And we want to just take a look at that today. It's kind of from a 30,000 foot level, kind of big picture view of it. How do I live differently in light of my faith in the Bible, in light of the fact that I can run to God through prayer? And what we really want to do is take a look at that from a story of the Bible where Jesus is going to interact with this one individual. It's a pretty fascinating story. I want to show you guys this. It's in Luke chapter 19. And if you have a Bible, you'll definitely want to open that up and turn there. Uh, We're going to kind of be camped out in this section of Scripture for quite a bit of the the day today. And so Luke chapter 19, you can turn there in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's not a big deal at all. You can grab one from underneath the chairs there in front of you. It's page 732 in those Bibles. And actually, you can take that home with you. If you don't have a Bible <clears throat> that you kind of call your own, take that, write your name in it, make notes in it, it's yours. Just, uh, it's kind of our gift to you. So take that if you need a copy of God's Word. Also, you can download our app, Grace Church 30, and all the notes, kind of the passages that we're going to be looking at will be in that app as well. Let me give you a little bit of background here as you turn uh, to Luke chapter 19. So what we're going to be doing is looking at a section of the Bible where, uh, where they're called the Gospels, right? So sometimes you hear that word, the Gospels, it's called good news. Often that's talking about the message about Jesus. It's also describing a, a type of book of the Bible. So there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these books of the Bible tell us about Jesus's life, his ministry, and how he died, right? So if you ever want to know, man, what's Jesus like? Go to those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You may want to jot those down if you're new to the Bible. I remember uh, being a a brand new Christ follower feeling extremely overwhelmed by the Bible. It's helpful to kind of know where to start. So Luke is going to be one of those gospels. He's a guy that in the beginning of 
kind of this book of the Bible, he would say, hey, I researched everything. Like I interviewed eyewitnesses, people that knew Jesus personally. And what I set out to do is to put kind of an orderly account is what, what Luke would say. I want you to know what Jesus's life is all about. And I want to capture it that way. And we're going to be in Luke 19 towards the end of Jesus's life and ministry. He's kind of wrapping up this travel section where he had been teaching. And at this point in Jesus's ministry, he has he has made quite a difference. People have heard. The word has gotten out, and now these crowds of people are all around Jesus kind of all the time. They've heard that he's healed the blind, he's fed 5,000. They've heard the wisdom of his teaching, and now this massive group of people is kind of hovering around Jesus. That's where we pick up the story, Luke 19. Let me read it through, and uh, we'll come back and talk about it. Luke 19.1, here's what Luke tells us. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham this is for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Fascinating story. I recognize that uh, even as I'm talking about Zacchaeus, those of you who grew up in church, you grew up singing a song about Zacchaeus and how he was a wee little man, right? I, I didn't grow up singing that song. I didn't know that. How many of you guys grew up singing that song? You know what I'm talking about right now. How many of you are like me and you're like, I didn't grow up in church. I have no idea what's happening right now. Right, let me just tell you something. If you're like me and you miss that song, you miss nothing, right? <laughs> don't, you don't worry. Don't worry about that at all. But evidently, there's some song about how Zacchaeus is a wee little guy, wee little man, climb up a tree, whatever. And so that is true. Zacchaeus is a short guy, and uh, he has a fascinating story. This is actually the only part in the Bible where we're going to hear about Zacchaeus. So we kind of have this unique look into his interaction with Jesus, and here's what happens. So Zacchaeus, I've got to give you a little background. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And what we need to understand about a tax collector is these people uh, would have had a lot of money, uh, quite a bit of power, but they would have been really hated by the Jewish people. And here's, here's why. Here's how this all worked. So if you go back to the Old Testament, what happened was God decided to give the Jewish people, people of Israel, a chunk of land. And they said, basically, this is your land. And I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be kind of this possession you're going to be able to have and the people were excited about that. They're proud of that. But what happened is over time, the Roman Empire took over, kind of took over a big chunk of the world, including the nation of Israel, this group of people that were in this land that God gave them. And so when the Roman Empire overtook them, the Jewish people were very resentful that they had this leadership over them. And to make it even worse, here's what the Roman Empire would do. They would go around and they would recruit often Jewish men to become tax collectors, 
right? So they would ask Jews to go collect taxes from their kind of fellow countrymen and women, collect taxes from them, and they would do that and then give it back to the Roman Empire. And the way they made their living is they would collect more than they needed and they would support themselves on that. And they began to be known as people who would gouge their fellow countrymen and women by taking more taxes than they would need and they got wealthy doing that, right? And so the Jews hated these sell, kind of they would view them as a sellout, right? Their, their fellow Jewish brothers who had sold out to the Roman Empire and now are taking their money. There's nothing they can do to stop it. So they would have viewed a tax letter kind of like as the scum of the earth, right? They would have been very frustrated with them and would have been uh, kind of discouraged by the whole thing. I've got four kids, and um, sometimes what happens, like when mom or dad are making a meal for the kids, you know, making a sandwich or whatever, sometimes we'll employ the mom tax, you know, which basically means whatever I make for you, I get to have a bite of, you know, and then we give the meal to the children. You're like, this is a strange household that you run, right? <laughs> it's fascinating. And that, that all makes a lot of sense to the kids, right? Because it just makes sense. If mom made that and she wants to have a bite, well, she did make it. It makes sense that she could be able to have her tax. Now, I have one child that's especially sneaky, right? There's always one, and I'll remain, she'll remain nameless, although we call her Bella sometimes. Maybe you can figure out which one it is. But she, what she'll do is, after the mom and dad tax, or mom or dad tax is employed, she'll throw her own Bella tax on top of it, right? And so the meal's going to her brother or her sisters, and she just decides... I'm going to take an extra bite just because, right? Just, just for me. And I asked her, I said, honey, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you calling that the Bella tax? And she said, just because I want to. I was like, you evil little child, <laughs> sinner, right? And that, that's Zacchaeus. He's that guy, right? Easy to see your brothers and sisters hate your guts, right? When they eat your meal just because. So that's what's going on. That's Zacchaeus. He is in a place where this crowd of people, here's what you kind of have to see in your mind, you imagine this huge crowd of people. Jesus is making his way through here. The people would have been aware that this short little guy, Zacchaeus, tax collector, is in the crowd. They would have recognized him, and they would have especially recognized him because now Zacchaeus, probably well-dressed, again, very wealthy, would have made his way up this tree. And in this culture, in some ways like ours, you'd never expect to see kind of a boss somebody who had a lot of money climbing up a tree to get a glimpse at someone like Jesus, right? Jesus, he would have been considered a rabbi, but he's, right, he's homeless. He's a guy who's claiming to know the way of God. At this point, he hasn't raised from the dead yet, but we know that something's happened in Zacchaeus's heart because he's willing to act in humility, humbling himself, putting himself on display, climbing up this tree, Right? He would have looked like an absolute fool doing this. So the crowd has one eye on Zacchaeus climbing this tree thinking, what a jerk Zacchaeus is. What is he doing in the tree? Weird. And then they're like, here comes Jesus. Right? That's kind of the stage that's set. And I want us to see part of what's going on in Zacchaeus' heart is something has changed in him. Right? He's got all the money that he wants. He's loaded. Right? He's wealthy. He's the chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector. He's the tax collector of tax collectors. He's the boss. He's the guy that collects the extra money from the extra tax guys, and he has become very wealthy from that. He should be set, right? He, he would have had a lot of what the world would tell him, this is what you're looking for, man. Get the money and get the job. But something's going on in his heart to the point where he still feels the need 
to put himself out there to climb up this tree, even though he's going to be mocked by this crowd of people and look like an absolute fool, right? He's going to have humility, right? He's going to act in humility. That's what we can know when we see him climb up this tree. And here's what I would say, first thing I want us to draw from this is humility is the first step to relationship with Christ, right? No matter what, humility is the first step toward a relationship with Christ. And for Zacchaeus, we don't know how it all worked. We don't know the background of his story, but I think this is how it happens. Somehow in our lives, we end up needing to climb up that tree and it can look a bunch of different ways for us. Uh, For me, I didn't grow up in church, as I mentioned earlier. And so for me, what I did was I was probably in some ways like Zacchaeus. I relate to him. I chased down what my world, what my culture said to chase down. I tried to achieve. I tried to do well in school. I, I tried to succeed in sports. I do all that stuff. I, I, when my world said to party, man, that's what you need to do. You give yourself to that. I tried to do that. I did everything that I knew my world told me to do. And at the end of the day, I still didn't find the answers I was looking for. Right? I was lost. A lot like what Zacchaeus was saying. He said, how do, I, how do I live found? I, I don't want to be lost anymore. I want to find truth and find what life is all about. Because what happens, I was kind of run down a road on the maze of life and hit a dead end and realized it was a dead end too late after I was exhausted and have to reroute and come back and do the whole thing all over again. Giving myself to making money, giving myself to sports, giving myself to whatever, all to find out there's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not where life is found. Anything wrong with making money? No. Nothing wrong with making money. Anything wrong with having money? No. Anything wrong with having goals? Nope. Anything wrong with pursuing my goals? Nope. It's just not where life is. Life is never going to be found by my pursuit of my goals or my accumulation of money or getting the job that I want. It's got to be more than that. And somehow, in humility, it's that drive, that pursuit and finding out and discovering that all those pursuits end up being a dead end is what causes me to climb up that tree. And for me, what that looked like in my life was I ended up having to come to a point in my life where I was with a buddy and we were having a conversation. I looked at him. His name's Joe. And I said, Joe, I go, man, I, I don't know how to do life. I have everything I ever wanted and it's not what I'm looking for. I was in college. Pam my way through school, had money in the bank, had a girlfriend, right? I had all these things I thought I really wanted. And I looked at him and I said, man, I don't know how to do life. Um, I, I think I might need to know Jesus. I need to get a glimpse of Jesus. Right? And that happens for many of us. Right? We get what we think we always wanted. We get the house or we get the marriage or we get the baby or we get the whatever. And those things are all good, but in and of themselves, they don't give life. It's not the purpose of why we're on the planet. So what happens is our heart is still restless. It makes us climb up a tree and keep looking. Sometimes that's an inside-out experience where from the inside of my experience of life, I get sent up that tree and start asking those questions. Sometimes it's the, from the outside in, right? It's my kind of my circumstances shake me at the core. Sometimes some of us have had these experiences where right, the finances break down and the bankruptcy and now I'm losing everything and Jesus, I need help. I run up my tree. The marriage is breaking down. 
unfaithfulness happens. How did I get myself into this situation? Why am I talking to this lady or this guy? How, how did I get here? Wait a minute. I find myself running up this tree. Right? Humility. When the diagnosis happens or a loss happens or life happens and it shakes me to my core and causes me to find myself running up a tree all just to get a glimpse at Jesus, hoping that there's more, there's an answer, there's, there's a way through this maze of life, man, because I'm lost and I want to live found. I want to be different. Humility is step one. I want us to see this real quick. I think Luke put this in here on purpose one chapter earlier in his account of Jesus' life. Chapter 18, verse 9, I'll read you this parable that Jesus taught. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. It says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. It says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Right? This is Zacchaeus, the tax collector, looking and saying, I, I need Jesus. I'll look like a fool. I'll be humbled by this crowd, all if I can get close to God. It's fascinating. I love that Luke points that out because I think one of the things that Luke is doing is he's trying to help us see something about Jesus. One of the things that causes Christ followers to live differently is the fact that our Savior is so different. He's so radically different than what we would expect. It always blows my mind when I think about what Jesus came to the planet and what he actually did. Like, I would have thought God with skin on come here from, right, from heaven, lives a perfect life, it would make sense to me that he would go to people that kind of have it all together, that have life by the tail, you know, that have figured it out. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does something radically different. I want us to catch this. Jesus invites the lost and the wicked and the lonely into relationship. The lost and the wicked and the lonely. That's what Zacchaeus was. I love that Jesus says he was lost. No idea what he was doing. Was he wicked? Absolutely. We can see in verse 7, right, when all the people saw that Jesus invited Zacchaeus in a relationship, they, they would look at him and say he was a sinner. And they weren't exaggerating. Zacchaeus was a wicked guy. He knew it too. What Jesus does when he comes to this earth is he interacts and he reaches out. He invites the broken, the shattered, the wicked, the evil into relationship and offers them forgiveness for their sins. See, Jesus doesn't come for the, the cleaned up, have it together people. He looks and he, he loves all kinds of people. 
He, he loves, right, the married and the single, the, the sick and the healthy, the rich and the poor. He's going to reach out and he invites the drug dealer into relationship and the drug addict, right? The, those who are trafficked, the great victims of this life. And he also invites the trafficker. He would look and say, I want to invite you into a relationship, right? If you would say, me too. He also wants to invite the person who caused someone else to say me too. Those who've done incredible harm and incredible damage, who've sinned greatly, he would look and say, I offer you my forgiveness. I'm going to lay down my life for you soon. The lost, the wicked, and the lonely. See, when Jesus is walking through that crowd and he begins to spot Zacchaeus, Right? You, you got to feel the tension in the, in the room, in the space. Right? Remember, the crowd's got an eye on Zacchaeus and a, an eye on Jesus. It would have been absolutely scandalous to that crowd that as Jesus came to the spot where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, I believe that when he looked at Zacchaeus, he could see the brokenness in his eyes. And he knew he was looking for him. See, in... in what Jesus would do is he would invite Zacchaeus, come down. I need to stay at your house. And what that means in the first century is that if, you, if, you, if I'm staying at your house, if we're sharing meals together and certainly sharing a home together, what that means is I accept you and you accept me. We are like family. And that crowd would have known that. And as soon as that interchange happened, they were gasping at that. That's why they're muttering, saying, doesn't he know that this guy's a sinner? He's wicked. He's garbage. Throw him away. Judge him. Do anything but extend relationship to him. That's exactly what Jesus does. He reaches out and offers relationship to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is fundamentally altered by this interaction with Jesus. He's changed by it. Man, this is how this all works, right? Everyone who comes in contact with Jesus is changed, right? Why does this work this way? Jesus would say things like this. He said, I, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When somebody who knows their need for God interacts with a Savior who comes and offers to meet that need, there is a radical change that takes place in the person's life. I said it in your notes this way. The grace of God received by a humble heart causes a radical response. Right? The grace of God received by a humble heart causes a radical response. Look at what Zacchaeus did. Jesus goes up to that tree, invites Zacchaeus into relationship. Verse 8, here's what Zacchaeus does. Somewhere along the way, this is in the moment or later in their interchange, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. By the way, that, that was a sacrifice for Zacchaeus. He didn't have to do that. Jewish law didn't demand that you give, if you're very wealthy, half of your possessions to the poor. Zacchaeus would look and say, If you, Jesus, would show me that kind of kindness and acceptance. I recognize that you have the way of life. I don't, I don't need this money. This money that I have 
clung to and scraped together and fought for and extorted from other people now means nothing in light of my relationship with you. Here, half of it can go to the poor. I don't care. And then he goes further and says, listen, if I've wronged anyone, if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay back four times the amount, which would have been a response of obedience to Jewish law. See, in the Jewish law, this is how this would work. If you wronged someone, right, if you took somebody's donkey and it died, right, or you stole somebody's property, what you had to do is you had to pay back what you took and then you had to pay extra. It was called restitution, right? So if you stole, you'd pay back what you stole and then you would pay sometimes 20% more, sometimes four times as much. And what he does here in this passage is he's saying, Listen, no matter what the case is, whatever the scenario is, I will, I, will, I will take care of the strictest interpretation of the law for everything I've ever done wrong to anybody. Radical response. Doesn't make any sense at all. But the grace of God, the favor of God, when it comes into the life of someone who is hurting and lonely and rejected, who's looking for life, and is sick of the maze that you've been trapped in. What happens when that grace hits a humble heart is it causes an explosion, a radical response. That's what happened in my life. And when my friend told me about Jesus, all I knew is that what I heard was true. I couldn't tell you why. All I knew is that everything I ever tried was not working. It wasn't helping. It wasn't where life was found. More money wouldn't solve the problem. More sex would not solve the problem. More achievement was not where life was going to be found. What do I do now? And then my friend tells me about Jesus. And, and right, I've got this shame in my life, pain in my life, guilt in my life, because I've done things that I'm not been proud of in pursuing my own goals, and now I can have forgiveness for my sin. And here's what I can tell you is in the moment for I, when I said yes to following Jesus on, my life was altered. I have not and I will not ever be the same. Doesn't mean all my problems went away. Some, I got new problems, but I knew where life was. I was no longer lost. Now I could live found. And that's what's happening in Zacchaeus's life. He responds with this radical response. Right? For him, it was a financial one. Sometimes for us, it's looking when we run into Jesus and begin a relationship with Jesus, it causes us to live differently. Right? It causes us to be radical in the way we approach relationships, radical in the way we do marriage, radical in the, the way that we would deal with integrity. It causes us to be different. One of the things that happens when we say yes to Jesus is all kinds of things become true of us that weren't true of us before. Right? The Bible would look and say, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you say yes to Christ right now, what happens in your life is you become new from the inside out. The Bible would say the old has passed, the new has come. That if you say yes to Jesus, you're now a son or a daughter of God, that you're adopted into the family never to be kicked out, never to be rejected. That, that if you say yes to Christ, you are reborn. You're made new on the inside. That you are, you are altered at the deepest level. You have a new identity. In fact, God would go so far as to say, listen, I'm not going to stop with, with just 
calling you different. I'm actually going to come and live inside of you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and he makes his home inside of every person who says yes to Jesus. Holy Spirit is God. What he does is the, the theological world is he indwells us, he lives inside of us, and what he does is he causes us to know what God wants and what God's like. He changes us from the inside out. We partner with him. Let me show you this passage real quick. It's one of the things that happens when we say yes to Jesus. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Paul, uh, leader in the early church, said it this way. He said, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We're saying this Holy Spirit, right, God in us, it's a down payment, a deposit, guaranteeing that heaven is coming. Right? Here's what God's like. I'm going to live inside you. I'm going to change you from the inside. I'm going to give you life that is real life, abundant life. And by the way, one day all the pain of this life will go away and you'll just be able to enjoy a relationship with God. I'm going to make all things new. Here's the down payment. See, we partner with the Holy Spirit and it causes us to live different. That's why when we say yes to Jesus, we start to be changed from the inside out. I'd never read this book before, uh, before I was a follower of Jesus. I never cared about it. I had no interest in it, literally zero. I really had zero religious interest. And now I'm obsessed with it. How did that happen? God changed me from the inside out. I didn't care about helping other people. I wanted my own goals to be accomplished. God's changed, he's changing and changed me from the inside out. That's why the Bible would say things like this, that if you say yes to Christ, there are gonna be all kinds of fruit that the Holy Spirit will produce in your life, love and joy and patience and compassion, long-suffering, right? all kinds of stuff that isn't there if God's not in us. We are called to live differently. It's fascinating. We see this in Zacchaeus' life and then we see it in our own. One of the things I love is how this passage wraps up, right? It's Jesus' teaching. One of the most important things I think about what Jesus said is he lands on this verse in verse 10. He says, for the Son of Man, it's one of the things he would refer to himself as, right? So for the Son of Man, or Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. See, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he saw a guy who was lost. He's lost. Right? Face value might say, well, he's got money, he's got the job. How is it possible that he's lost? He has no idea how to navigate life. I don't know if you guys have ever been lost before. Uh, I went to a corn maze this week. Have you ever been to a corn maze? If you want to get lost, going to a corn maze is an awesome way to do it. Yeah, me and my family, we went. Here's Lori and I. This is the first part of our adventure in the corn maze. We looked really happy until it started to get dark, right? And then we were like, get us out of the corn maze. We were lost. And it's because when you walk through a corn maze, this is basically what it looks like. You have all of these decisions to make, and you got to keep going, and there's really no rhyme or reason to how the thing should work. There's no logic. You're just, you're going right or you're going left. 
right? In one path, we're like, I think we're making progress. And we found, wound our way all the way around. And it's a total dead end. We're like, this is fantastic. I'm never getting, I'm going to die in this corn maze, right? Like, you got to do it. You got to go try it one time. It's, it's fantastic, right? But when you're in the middle of a corn maze, what you really want, isn't that great? You're like, I could l- get lost in there for a long time. What you want is a map. That's what you want, right? When you're in the corn maze, you, you think, if I could just see the big picture, if I could get above it and like know all the details, that, that would, I could totally navigate this thing, right? Th- this is what you're looking for, right? When you're in the middle of being lost, you're looking for the map, right? I'm, I'm trapped in the maze. How do I get out? Can I just get above it and see all the details to it? And I, I wish I could have that. And the reality is if you're a Christ follower, you want that too, but you're never going to totally get this, right? We don't get all the details of life and how our life is all going to work downloaded into us when we say yes to Jesus. It's not how it works. It's what we want, but it's not what happens. What happens is when I'm lost in the middle of the maze, right, and I climb up the tree and I get a glimpse of Jesus, is he meets me in the middle of my lostness. Right? He meets me right in the middle of it and helps me to live found. He guides me through it. He's the only one that can see the whole picture, right? He, he's got the whole thing down. And what do we do? Here's what I did, right? I chased everything that I knew how to chase only to find that it's a dead end. So Zacchaeus did, right? Zacchaeus is chasing the money. He's chasing the money. He gets more of the money. He thinks he's on the right track. It's one of the hardest things about being lost, you can be lost and not know you're lost and really believe that you're on the right road until it comes crashing down, until you hit the dead end and you realize, oh, I've been on the wrong road the entire time. I've thought that I was found when in fact, really, I've been lost. And Zacchaeus, here's what I think happened in his life. Zacchaeus came to a point in his life where I think he became absolutely sick of being lost. I, I know that because that's how I felt. I, I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. I, I'm so done with following the promises and the lies that this is where life is found chasing it down with all that I have only to find that it's a dead end over and over and over again. Let me just tell you this. If you, if you grew up in a Christian home, you always heard the Bible, you always knew about Jesus, let me tell you how your lost friends feel. Right? Your friends like me who, who didn't grow up following Jesus, it is a horrible, unnerving feeling to never know if you're going down the right road or not. So you go, I'm going to give all I can to this time. I'm going to run down this road with everything I have because I have to find life. I'm desperate for it. And then only to have it be a dead end again. It's exhausting. It's hopeless. It's a horrible feeling. And when, when I do that over and over and over again, what happens is eventually I come to this point where I say, I'm sick of it. I'm done with this. I have to live found. I have to find actual progress to the maze of life or I'm going to lose it. That's where Zacchaeus was. In my opinion, this is where Christ followers ultimately land. 
See, followers of Christ, they live differently. They're sick of living lost, done with it. They have made a decision to live found. And this is what Jesus does, right? He doesn't give us the big picture. He doesn't download all the details of everything that's ever going to happen in our lives and tell us, right, every little pitfall of every decision we're ever going to make. What he does is he meets us right, right in the middle of the maze. He meets us there. And he guides us through it, right? He'll walk us through this thing. He says, listen to my voice, right? Follow my leading. I will navigate you through this thing. When you're having a hard time, pray. Let's talk about this, right? When you come to a decision, a fork in the road moment, and you've got to make a call, lean into my wisdom. Listen to my voice that I've laid out here in the scripture, Right, when I'm trying to figure out, should I stay in this marriage or not? Everyone around me is telling me, put yourself first. You need to be happy. Right? Jesus would look and say, has infidelity happened? Have you, have you cheated on each other? No, we're just, we're just bored. We're sick of each other. We've got issues we just haven't worked through. All my friends tell me to leave her. All my friends tell me to upgrade Right, my friends tell me to let him go. He's a dirt bag. Right? What happens if I run down that road? You're not going to find what you're looking for. It's not there. Jesus, I want to listen to your voice. Right? I'm going to follow your way, even though it makes no sense to anybody around me. Right? When everybody else is cheating and cutting corners and everyone's doing it, I want to listen to the voice of my Savior. I'm going to navigate that maze. I want to do singleness your way. I'm not going to sleep around. I'm not going to have casual sex. I'm not going to have an open marriage. I'm, I'm going to do money your way, God. Right? I'm going to give and then save and then live on the rest. Right? I'm going to do and listen to your way. And even if I get on a detour, right, I get stuck, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pick back up where you started. Gotta make sure I can make my way through this thing. <laughs> this is crazy. Right? What happens? I listen to the voice of my Savior. And sometimes I go down a really long road of following Jesus. Some of us have experienced this. When you're in a, a difficult situation that requires perseverance, All right, it's a tough marriage, a tough parenting situation, been single a long time, been waiting to have kids for a long time and they're not coming. Right. You, you've been following, trying to be faithful and trying to stick it out and trying to run hard. And every once in a while, you, you kind of hit, hit the end of that road and think, man, Lord, am I on the, are you still with me? Am I running down the right path? Is it worth it to follow you? We forgot what it was like to be lost, right? And we run down a long road that runs a need for perseverance. This happens to me sometimes, and I, I, every once in a while, I just get hit by this wave of wanting to live a normal life. You know, I'm like, man, I, sometimes I do. I just want, being honest, sometimes I just want to live a normal life. Uh, I want to have weekends and chill and work 40 hours a week and hang out in the woods and chop down trees, you know? <laughs> Sounds awesome. And then what the Lord will do is he'll remind me uh, gently, sometimes firmly, 
Ryan, remember, like, you asked for this. I remember 15 years ago when your life first started to change and, and you wanted to make an impact in the world and you wanted to teach people about me and you wanted to see lives changed and remember that whole thing? Like, you, this is what you wanted. Ryan, remember, your, your life is short here. This maze is going to get wrapped up. We're going to get to the end of it and you're going to spend eternity with me in heaven. Right? You really think you're going to wish you, you took your foot off the gas? You're going to wish you, you just were more casual about your relationship with me and about engaging a mission in the world? Or when you see me face to face, Ryan, are, are you going to be so glad at every sacrifice that was made? And I remember the, the calling where it started. Remember what God asked me to do. This is how it is, right? We live differently. It's a great need for perseverance, especially when other people maybe aren't following the same road we are and we start to look like we don't make any sense, right? Does it make sense for Zacchaeus to give away all he has and, right, give away half of his possessions to the poor? Nobody does that. Some of you are like, yay, you did the maze. Good job. I saw that. <laughs> right? The reality is he's the only one that can lead us through this thing. You know? And if we follow him, if we live differently, if we walk with Jesus, it's the only way I can avoid not getting and staying lost. So Ryan, what are we going to do with this conversation? It's, uh, it's a big one. I might ask some questions of us. And the first one might be, I recognize some of us are here, you got drug in by a friend and um, you're starting to figure out like, where am I? You know, am I, am I lost? Where am I in this whole thing? I might look and ask you the question, have you ever come to a place where you climbed up a tree? Where you humbled yourself and said, I think I'm, I think I'm sick of being lost. Like I'm, I'm ready to change. I don't want to live like this anymore. Maybe because there's something going on inside of you or maybe there's some tough stuff happening in your life. But have you ever climbed up that tree and said, I'm done with this. I'm done living for the promises of this world and I'm done chasing down dead ends. I gotta, I have to follow someone who actually knows what they're doing. Oh man, if you haven't done that yet. All I can tell you is nothing will change you. Like climbing that tree and getting a glimpse of Jesus. He will alter you from the inside out. You'll never be the same. It will not be easy, but you will know that you have life. I'd say if that's where you are, just don't, don't walk away. Don't walk up the, the tree and not climb it. Put yourself out there. So my friends are going to, I remember thinking this. I thought, when I said yes to Jesus, I thought my friends are going to think I have lost my mind. And they did. So what? At the end of the day, you are going to answer for your soul and I'm going to answer for mine and they're going to answer for theirs. Who am I going to be? How am I going to live? Will I run after the only source of life that I know to find? If you haven't started a relationship with Christ yet, man, do whatever it takes to find that. 
You can talk to me and talk to anybody in the band. Let somebody know out here. If somebody brought you, talk to them about it. If you want to sit down and have a conversation, I'd love to do that with you. Don't, don't look at the tree and not climb it. You sick of being lost? It's a question I would ask. Another question I might ask for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And we get in these situations where we come to crossroads and we, we kind of know God is asking us to do something. I want you to turn left and we're staring at that right turn. I'm ready to upgrade my lifestyle and God, God's looking at you saying, hey, have you been generous? I'm ready to get out of that marriage. God's calling me to persevere. Is there something that God is asking you to do? He's saying this is what it means to live found. It might not make any sense. But every time you stop and pray, it's the thing that comes up in your mind and your heart right away. Is there something that God's asking you to do that you haven't acted on yet? I have no idea what it is. Could be relational, could be financial. Might need to break that relationship off. May need to, I have no idea. But will you respond radically like Zacchaeus did? Follow the voice of the only one who actually sees the big picture and can lead us through it. Friends, we want to take a minute, and we've been doing this all throughout the series, take that phone out and fill out that discipleship assessment. A couple questions there. They'll give you resources. You can follow those. Super helpful stuff to do. You can do it now or you can do it later. But as we wrap up our conversation today, would you ask yourself the question, am I living found? Am I living differently, the world around me? Am I living the way that my Savior has called me to live? As we worship and as we sing, we wrestle with those questions. I'm going to have the band come out. I want to pray for us, wrap up our time here today. Father, we want to just pause here for a minute. God, I want to say thank you again for your favor on my life, your grace. God, that you, you chose to love me when I was in absolute rebellion against you. In, in the grossness of my sin, my sexual immorality and my godless pride, Lord, you invited me into relationship in my wickedness. Lord, and you laid down your life for me before I even called your name. God, how can I not be changed by that? Would you give me the courage, would you give us the courage to remember the grace that you've offered to us? Or we're not the righteous, we're the sinners. We are in great need. I need you, Lord. I need you today. Help us to have the courage to put what you are calling us to do into action. God, would you meet us here? 
Help us to live found, knowing that you are right there with us in the midst of the chaos and the confusion of life. Yours is the only voice that we can trust. We love you, Lord. Meet us here, even now.